Who are you? What does it mean to be human? What is truth? Is your red the same as my red? Is free will truly free? What is morality? Join us as we explore these ideas and more in The Philosopher's Stone. Hello fellow alchemists and stoners, welcome to Philosopher's Stone where we do a little bit of game chair philosophy. Here on Philosopher's Stone, our purpose is to spark synergistic conversations on a myriad of complex and complicated topics. So Darren, how you doing? Doing good, got my coffee, it's morning, and ready to dive into today's extended episode. Yeah, absolutely. Continuing our discussion of ideal society. Yep. How about you though? How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, woke up this morning, which is always a good thing. Um, got my coffee, made some breakfast this morning, and I just like since Thanksgiving is around the corner, I would like to to give one moment, like brief moment of thanks, and just appreciate that I have yet to hear Mariah Carey on the radio before th Thanksgiving, and it's just it's a wonderful, it's it's a very pleasant experience. I yeah, I'm just very grateful for that. Um, <laughs> Yep, uh, we'll have that moment. <laughs> All right, now we can continue. Yay! All right. Uh, have you read anything interesting since yesterday? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> have you? <laughs> nope. I would say dank memes, but they were they were really just mid mid memes. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I I haven't read anything all that interesting since our, our last episode yesterday. So I think as far as housekeeping and plans for the the Discord and our episodes and everything, so again, we do plan on doing this extended episode, our part two extended edition of Ideal Society, and we do plan on getting it up relatively quickly. We do not intend to edit this episode, so those of you listening to the recording, you'll get to kind of hear the more raw version of of our episodes which you know you could also listen to them live but you know it's a to each their own um <laughs> and we will be sure to add 63 percent more fillers in this episode so you just really get that feeling of just um yeah just the um, unedited rawness like yeah like um yeah like when uh when like uh yeah Wait, like, uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's an idea there. Um, and, I just don't uh, know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this will be, hopefully this will be a pleasant experience, or it could just be, you know, pain to your ears. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but we hope you'll stay with us through this episode, especially when we get into kind of the more meat of this discussion. But as far as kind of future plans and what's going on, so again, we do plan on doing this episode, releasing it pretty quickly. We, I have not edited our last two episodes, so those probably will be coming out after this episode. So if there's a little bit of confusion as far as like timing, all that kind of good stuff for those listening to the recordings, uh, just yeah, that's kind of what's happening right now. I think this probably will be the last episode we do for this month, and I don't know if we've actually established our plans for next month either. But uh, any upcoming plans and everything, we will let you know especially those in the discord we will post announcements and all that kind of good stuff am i missing anything i don't think so yeah this is our extended episode 
little bit of recap for those of you that don't know they're just tuning in we tried to do an episode on ideal society already and basically over the course of the hour we only got through like education and the importance of education <laughs> and so then we're like well we didn't really cover the actual topic we still released the episode that should be out for you guys to listen to but um we're like obviously we need more time on this and threw up a poll in the discord to see hey is this something you guys are interested in we know three four hours is a long time for an episode um and saw some interest in it and so taking us several months before we got here but we are now here um and recording this extended episode so yeah absolutely and from the polls, it was like an overwhelming majority of a three to two um, <laughs> as far as those in favor of this episode. So here we are doing this episode. And yep. so, yeah, again, we hope you enjoy it. Hope you stay tuned. And, you know, uh, those listening to the recording, we really hope you pop by the, the Discord and offer your feedback and advice and all that other kind of good stuff. But with all of that out of the way, let us dive into the ideal society part two extended edition and of course as always full disclosure to us information is information neither true nor false right nor wrong good nor bad and our responses to these topics are merely our subjective perspectives of the assumed objective reality we are not subject matter experts and as such we would like to invite all of you to join the discussion through the public discourse channel by adding any questions comments perspectives and or experiences you might have in relation to the topic at hand and now let us get into ideal society so to kind of kick this off i do have a little bit of a definition that i have posted into the references and we'll probably kind of talk a little bit about the definition as well in this this episode i don't remember to be honest i don't remember what our definition was in our last ideal society episode but for this this episode, our definition for society, at least my definition, is a collection of people organized into systems designed to preserve and advance the collection as a whole. And kind of my premise for this definition is, Darren, you and I have had discussions before, and you've brought up your observation that in the world, the world seems to, or there are several examples of things that like complicated systems that seem to be made up of very simple components, right? Mm-hmm. So like you've used the the analogy for chess, you know, you only have, you know, so many chess pieces and you only have two people playing playing the game, but that the the simple game of chess can lead to a whole bunch of different different outcomes, a whole bunch of different actual games. And so kind of my my I guess perspective for this this definition is kind of kind of basically the same principle is that society is is built on people. The only difference is that people individually are complex beings, and so mm-hmm. not only are you dealing with a complex system built on elements, but those elements in and of themselves are also inherently complex. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from as far as our definition of society. Yeah. So yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I like that definition for now, but just as the discussion goes, if I see any issues with it, I'll kind of be like, well, maybe here we should redefine it slightly. I think that's a good starting place for our discussion. Um, and a quick note, we're not necessarily defining ideal 
at the start of the episode. So that's kind of part of what <laughs> the discussion is, is what is an ideal society? What does it mean for a society to be ideal? Um, and then how could that actually work in a very real setting? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess to, to kind of, now that we got the definition out of the way, to kind of kick this off, what are, what are, I know we talked about education, but in our last episode, but what are some key components or systems of a society that are necessary for an ideal society? Yeah. And I think a big reason that we started with education, why that was just such a prevalent topic is because that's kind of how information gets passed from one generation to the next. That's kind of and a topic that I think we're going to be diving into in this episode later <clears throat> is like, how do you how do you kind of maintain the integrity of the society over a longer period of time? And education, I very much think, is a big part of that. Um, but another part is power. Um, well, okay, let me back up. I think that two big things that would make a society, say you have a system that is ideal for everyone living in it. I think there are kind of two big parts to that, I think, or in maintaining that, I think one thing is to limit the spread of corruption. And then the other thing is to allow the society to shape and shift itself around the needs that arise um, within the society's citizens to, again, kind of further the purpose of the society. Does that make sense? I think so. So let me kind of kind of poke at, poke at that a little bit. So you okay. say an ideal society should be able to basically change and morph into and be flexible enough to fulfill the needs of the the individuals within the society correct mm. i would say more so the needs of the society but there is of course a relationship between the individuals and the society itself okay so then what would what would you say would be an example of of I guess what would your your definition of of needs be in that in that sense? Does well, that think, make sense? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. But I think as a society grows and it shapes, like let's say you just take like six people, right? And you say, "Hey, these six people, we want you to work on this thing." Um, assuming the six people are fairly civil and kind of get along with each other. There isn't much need for much regulation or much laws. It can very much be just kind of a small community. But that's going to be very, very different than if you have six million people, right? Mm-hmm. The the so I guess one thing is as a society grows, in theory, if you build a society well, I think that it's going to be very attractive to people and people are going to want to be in it. Um the other side is like say the society faces war or something like that, that's a big problem that the society itself as a whole is going to face. Um, or other things such as developments in technology. Nowadays we have like more plastic and just more waste in general than I think a lot of society has had for a good while. Um, and it's like, what do you do with that? How do you kind of organize that? I know 
I don't think this is necessarily an issue in America because we do have a really good kind of waste management system. But I know, I think in other parts of the world, they don't. And so the trash just collects over time because they don't have anywhere to put it. Um, And so that's an issue that those societies face. And so I think that that, like, these are big problems that the society itself is going to face as technology increases, as the relations with the outside world changes, and as the society itself grows and shapes into something else. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I think that's maybe kind of going along with that a little bit, I guess, maybe sort of flip side a little bit. But one thing I've I've kind of learned in my economics class a little bit is that what's cool about technology is, you know, a lot of first world countries typically are kind of the spearheaders of kind of more modern technology. And so, and the benefit to that is a lot of third world countries and I don't know if second world countries are a thing, but if they are, like, it's very easy for those those societies, those countries to really catch up into the modern age without yeah. having to take all of the necessary steps, the the intermediate steps. So, like, for instance, right, you know, here in America, we have, you know, our cell phones and our cars and all that, all that good stuff. But, you know, someone from a third world country doesn't have to first envelop or develop the, the typewriter <laughs> before mm-hmm. they can start using cell phones. They can just, you know throw in a few cell towers and then distribute cell phones and bam, like you've got third world countries basically to some extent caught up to at least to some extent from a technological standpoint, have caught up to the first world country and, you know, a fraction of the time. Mm -hmm. So I guess that is kind of one benefit of having, I guess a benefit of having a progressing society, which I guess Progressing society is a society that's growing and continuing, continuously meeting that society's needs. Yeah. This is yeah. probably a good way to tie it all back together. Yeah. And that's like, how do you mitigate corruption, but also how do you give the right people the power to adjust the system of the society? Let me look at your definition real quick. Yeah. Adjust those systems to help the society fit the current needs that it's facing. And I think that's something that we face a lot of, um, at least in America. Like, America was kind of almost like a social experiment out of the Enlightenment <laughs> of this individualism and the, you know, the autonomy of the individual and all these great ideas that came out of the Enlightenment. Um, and now I think newer problems are facing now that we've solved that problem that previous societies had. Now there are new problems that we're facing that just we don't know how to solve (laughs) so then Uh, that i'm sorry go ahead no continue so i think that kind of launches into another question i had is and based on your responses i think i already kind of know the answer but i do kind of want to hear hear your your thoughts but is an ideal society the same thing as a utopia I mean, what's your definition of utopia? I think if I were to define utopia, I would have to answer the question myself. I want to see, I want to hear your response first. 
I mean, I look up utopia definition on Google, and it says an ideally perfect place, especially in its social, political, and moral aspects. Second definition is a work of fiction describing a utopia. That doesn't really help. An impractical, idealistic scheme for social and political reform. Um, yeah, bunch of naysayers, bunch of pessimists. Well, I think, <laughs> I think that a you, I think what we're talking about is slightly different from a utopia, because in theory, a utopia like is ideal right it is the actual embodiment of the ideal society and like i said before you get six people together you can have it running ideally regardless of the system and i do think like whether you have monarchy or a democracy or an oligarchy or an aristocracy or um a mixed constitution or whatever i think that the system can be run ideally I think a monarchy, you know, one person having power over the entire system, if the person is a very competent and capable individual, I think that system can run very, very well in such a way that everyone benefits, that preserves and advances the collection as a whole. And I think we have seen that throughout history, maybe not perfectly, but done well. Um, but I think what we're talking about instead is the actual system. And building a system that mitigates corruption and um, remains elastic to shape itself around the growth and the needs of the society itself. Hmm. Does that make Interesting. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I would, I would argue, and maybe kind of closer to your point, but maybe in more simplistic terms, I would argue that that there is a difference between an ideal society and a utopia. And that difference is that I think a utopia is a society that has no problems. And I think an ideal society is a society that is designed and capable of resolving the problems that arise. That's that was a very elegant way of saying what I just said. And thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> And so yeah. yeah, I think I think there is a yeah, I think I think based on that there is a difference between ideal society and a utopia, which kind of launches into my next couple of questions. Okay. Which is is an ideal society at all attainable? And then if not, is it an ideal or is an ideal society worth pursuing? I mean, that's <laughs> I think in order to answer that, first and foremost, we have to establish whether or not a system, regardless of who's running the system, can a system run well and still work towards the benefit of the people within it and equip them to do well. And I think that's what an ideal at least in the sense that we're talking about an ideal society is is like say you took the most corrupt population you put them into this system would it be able to run well and would that corrupt population eventually develop into a better population of people that 
aren't corrupt, right? Mm. And I would I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but that's a very very difficult system to develop. And well, one that's di- sorry, go ahead. No, you you finish your thought. I would say and one that's difficult to develop in such a way that can also shape and form around the current needs of the society. Well, I would also argue that because you talk about corruption and taking the most corrupt, I guess, group of people and placing them in this society and then the society work. And, and I guess make the people less corrupt. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily I, mean immediately, but like at the yeah. very least over generations. Yeah, and over over time. I would say So I would say corruption fundamentally lies in some sense of selfishness. Right? Like on a very fundamental level it at least to me it it makes sense that that corruption is is like has its roots in 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 selfishness so if you really think about it the premise of the foundational premise and foundational premise of like a capitalistic society is rooted in selfishness because you know everyone keeps talking about the 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 invisible hand they don't realize that the invisible hand is literally just the idea of self-preservation and and that self-preservation that selfishness is what drives the the society you know what i'm saying like yeah and so so you could you can make an argument that that self-preservation that selfishness that self-interest is some level of corruption and so the capitalist society is built on such a way that it is run based or it is run off of that selfish nature and so i think for an ideal society if you were to take an entire population that is corrupt and predicated on some foundational fundamental form of selfishness then i would i would think that the ideal society would be able to successfully run off of that and i would say it's probably it's a natural instinct really just you know self self-interest well and this is the interesting thing about capitalism is like yes it breeds self-interest and i think in a way it does kind of breed corruption but it's almost like if everyone is corrupt there is no corruption mm-hmm In some sense of like, yeah, everyone can act out of self-interest, but for whatever reason, the system still, to some extent, works. I would say, I don't know that it's ideal, but I do think that it is a good step in that it learns to manage corruption for the benefit of the system. Does that make sense? Yes, and I would 100% agree. Like, it doesn't that, get rid of corruption, but it does say, well, if you're going to be corrupt, at least let the entire group benefit because of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, at least let's make it... If, if you're going to be corrupt, let's let's use it as fuel to... <laughs> <laughs> to, 
to push us to to propel us forward. Yeah, yeah. Which I think, like I said, it's a good step. I don't think it's quite what we're talking about because I think, in theory, what we're talking about would be no corruption. And I do think that you can have self-preservation without corruption. Um. Yeah. And so I do kind of want to make that distinction, but yeah, in theory, we develop a society that mitigates corruption and doesn't merely benefit off of it. Yeah, and I would agree. So I guess with that being said, I guess kind of going back to the question, is an ideal society at all attainable? Is it possible to develop a society that I guess a society that is fueled by human nature to, I guess, solve problems and preserve and advance the the society itself. Is that I... is that possible? Is that at all possible to to attain? Yeah, and I think more than that, like, because we've talked about human nature a little bit, I think that it is very easy to have a corrupt human nature, but actually having a good human nature is very, very difficult. And that's why I think, personally, there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of older texts, because that's more often than not, what they're dealing with. They're dealing with this corrupt human nature and saying, we're trying to build a good reason that that is not good. <laughs> um, and the question is, how do you, to some extent, how do you create a system that that makes that a reality like yeah how do you make a system that how do you make a system that the system in and of itself brings forth the best in people and like causes them to not only want to but to actualize a higher level of being let's say that that's in a sense what we're talking about yeah I, i'm gonna leave that question there and see what you think before i go off on my own thoughts hold on let me let me make sure i understand the question first so how do we build a society that in some essence kind of kickstarts the the drive for I don't know drive the the drive to exist at the highest form of being being possible within the individuals of the society in order for that society to work yeah, something like that. Hmm. 
Interesting. And I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that off the bat? Because I have a thought that isn't the most comforting, but yeah. So I think and maybe this is kind of kind of going off track a little bit. You know, in our last episode, we talked about hermetic philosophy, and one of the things is cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's this term called consequences that I think, at least in my perspective, traditionally, it's typically used in a negative connotation. Mm. But I think the the nature of consequences is simply a word that describes cause and effect. Yeah. And so I think to me there's a little there's a little bit of conflict here because you know you do you output a you know poor choices, bad actions, the consequences will be your the environment responding with you know bad you know not so great responses right and so then it becomes a kind of more of a trial and error type of thing where you know you get you get hurt you get uh yeah you get hurt from the from the decisions that you that you make and so then you're i don't know enticed i don't know what the word is you're you're more it's not prone either. You're you're it makes sense to try to make better decisions in order so that you in order for you to reap better results, right? Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the execution of consequences is in my and this is kind of where it gets off a little bit, but in my opinion, the the execution of consequences in its in its fullest extent is the definition of justice. In that, either you do a good action, the environment responds in uh, good to you, or you do a bad action, the environment responds poorly to you. But then the flip side of that is you know mercy, where you output a bad action, but yet the environment brings back something good or positive. And so I think traditionally mercy is looked on as a good thing because it's sparing pain for the individual. But at the same time, that individual doesn't experience the pain as a consequence of their own actions, and therefore they're less likely to... They don't have a a what's the word they don't have a an incentive there it is they don't have an incentive to change and make better decisions and so i guess my knee-jerk reaction is to at least have a system that includes some level of consequences in and some level of of just capacity (laughs) if that makes sense yeah well it's Interesting you bring that up because I think that kind of ties into what I was going to say is um, because the main place that 
I see mercy taught is in the Bible. And I think that's kind of where we got this idea of mercy equals good, is because that's very much like Jesus is known as the mercy seat. Um, which is, oh God, this is going to be awful if I get this wrong. I think it's also the Ark of the Covenant. It could be wrong. But basically, kind of, kind of the biblical message is like there is grace and there's mercy for everyone out there. Um, but kind of the flip side of that is every instance in which Jesus like gives mercy to someone, he also calls them up to a higher state of being, right? Mm. Like there, um, there's a woman that was brought before Jesus that was caught in adultery and like the Levitican law, the justice, let's say for Hebrew culture was, hey, she gets stoned. She gets thrown out of the city and stoned. Um, it can mean two different, very different things depending on your perspective. <laughs> she gets rocks thrown at her until she dies. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't mind going to a rock concert. <laughs> I'm um, kidding, sorry. <laughs> um, and basically... Jesus doesn't deny it. He's like, yeah, she deserves death. But those of you that don't have sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, everyone leaves, right? And it's like, oh man, there's this great thing of mercy. There's a great act of mercy. This woman deserves death, but she's not going to be killed. And the one without sin is Jesus. He could have thrown the stone. And it's this great act of mercy, and it's like, oh, yes, this is wonderful. But instead, he says, okay, go and sin no more. Mm. And so it's not just mercy. It's like, no, you, you don't just get let off the hook and you get to go back to doing what you were doing. It's a calling to something much higher than yourself. And that's really, um, I think, kind of the message of the Bible is we're talking about an ideal society. Sorry, I don't mean to get religious on this, but I think these stories, first and foremost, are shape our current perspective in ways that we don't understand and also relate. We're talking about ideal and we're talking about mercy. Um, but I'm going to put forward an idea and see what you think. This is, I think, the biggest difference between kind of the beginning and the end of the Bible. It was at the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve lived in a world with no problems. A utopia. Yeah, they lived in a utopia where there are no issues. And I think that, uh, I'm just putting this together, this is extremely symbolic of a utopia. It's like, there are no issues as long as no one does anything corrupt. But then, problems. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's a utopia. There's just one thing you have to not do. Cause one thing. Yeah, like the, that's it. <laughs> In a utopia, everything runs perfectly so long as everyone does things perfectly. Just don't hit the big red button. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Adam and Eve hit the big red button. <laughs> and the utopia falls apart. <laughs> um... And so I think kind of what that message is, is like you can put 
people within a perfect world and they're still gonna screw it up <laughs> it's amazing how fragile utopia is yeah yeah but this is the difference between the beginning of the bible and the end of the bible what the end of the bible says is chaos now... will ensue what chaos will ensue not quite i'm talking about like the entirety of the new testament specifically um oh, got it yeah not just revelations um <laughs> But what the end of the Bible basically says is it's like now you have you have that perfect system put inside of you as the spirit of God, right? The being of perfection, the literal definition of perfection is now living within you. The all within the all. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And it's like now go out and spread the kingdom of God. And I think what that's basically saying is that it, it's an interesting idea because I think what it's saying, and at the time in which these letters and everything in the New Testament was written was around the time of the Roman Empire, and it was flipping the ideas of the Roman Empire on its head. Because what Caesar was saying was like, um, hey, like I've brought you know this ideal society. I've brought right this perfect world you can be a part of rome and it was flipping a it's on flipping it on its head saying no the ideal society is with god um and with that what it's saying is you can live an ideal life regardless of the system in which you're in and really kind of saying the ideal society is based on its citizens so Kind of, I'm sorry, oh. I kind of tuned out on the, that last part because there's something you said that kind of, especially in relation to our uh, yesterday's episode, which was Hermetic Philosophy, which will come out after this episode. For those listening to the recording, I highly recommend. Actually, I don't know if our performance was that great. Never mind, don't listen to it. But <laughs> uh, you said, you know, going out and spreading the good word, right? And so is... Is doing that just merely bringing about awareness of the all within the individual? Um, at least from a a Judeo-Christian slash Hermeticism hybrid standpoint. <laughs> I would say no. It brings about the knowledge of the possibility of the all within the individual. Oh. Because ultimately, that is kind of the, the choice of the individual to be filled with God's spirit or not. But the important part about this is like we talk about mercy being a good thing. Mercy is only good if you have something deep within inside you driving you to be better. Right? Mercy is good if there is a call to a higher form of being associated with it. Yes, but that has to be a deep internal call. Like, I can say, Dustin, I'm not going yes. to say mean things about you right now, but I want you to be a better person. But fuck you. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, <laughs> I don't mean this offensively. <laughs> but you're a bitch. <laughs> you get my point, right? Like, I can call you to a higher form of being, but if you don't put stock into what I say, 
that doesn't matter. You know, you know, the most offensive things are going to come out of someone who says, no offense, or with all due respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with all due respect, disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. So, tying this all back to the ideal society, how then... How then do we create a society who, where the integral foundational part of the society calls the individuals of the society to a higher form of being is really the kind of the question. And not only to a higher form of being, but the higher form of higher form of being for the individuals, but also, the organization of the individuals are organized in such a way that they can that that they are flexible enough. The system is flexible enough to fix problems that arise within the society. Mm-hmm. So, at least those are two characteristics that, for an ideal society to work, we do uh, need to have a an inherent call to a higher form of form of being, and then flexibility to solve problems that arise within the society. So those are at least two characteristics. Yeah. And that's like how but what maybe a good place to start then is like what sort of environment causes you to do more than you otherwise would? Boot camp. <laughs> um, I don't think that calls you. I think that forces you. I think there's a difference between those two. Is there though? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's just put every citizen through extreme boot camp. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for years. I think we should go back to trial by combat. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about this about it this morning as I was making breakfast, which was phenomenal, by the way. Um, <clears throat> what if so? You know, I was thinking, what if we went back to trial by combat? You know, first of all, I th- I feel like that would be interesting, and you know, I feel like fewer people would have problems because you wouldn't like depending on the person you're having problems with, you might you may or may not want to fight to the death with that person, and. So I was like, well, then you're going to have a whole bunch of people that's like, oh, no, it's like needless bloodshed, all that other kind of stuff. So what if instead of that, what if we did trial by, I don't know what the word would be, trial by barbell, where the one who either, and they can pick whatever workout they want. They could do squats, they could do deadlifts, they can do, and let's, okay, let's make it the, the big three, squats, deadlifts, and uh, bench press. They could pick agree to pick any one of the one of the three whoever can do the most weight is the one that'll win the win the win the trial and so i think we should do trial by a poker match poker i barely know her <laughs> but no like if you think about it right like everyone would be at the gym because you don't want to get sued and have to go to trial by barbell 
and then lose because you didn't go to the gym. I think so I think, all, uh, so well, I think huh? An issue with that is the guy that lifts the most gets whatever the frick he wants because nobody can beat him. Not if you take a baseball bat to his knees. Before the trial. <laughs> well, then he just does bench press. Okay, take a baseball bat to his elbows. I don't care. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's a good question. Like, what if somebody gets physically injured and then they want to go to trial, but they can't because they're physically harmed? Well, survival of the fittest, I guess. <laughs> I'm kidding. But at least, okay, well, I would argue that, you know, okay, maybe that idea is not perfect, but it does include the, I, I would argue it includes a, a fundamental call to a higher form of being, a call to a higher purpose of being. Like, it, you, there, you have to be, you have to go to the gym, you have to lift weights in order to prepare yourself and have that personal responsibility to protect yourself from, you know, somebody trying to call you out and to, you know, Whatever. I mean, I think we have a similar system in America already, though, in that you have to make money so you can hire a lawyer. <laughs> and so it calls people to a higher form of being of make money. Make money, live better, Walmart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's their slogan. Pretty sure it is. <laughs> but... Yeah, I think that's... I think that's another point to make is that I don't think <clears throat> this is an interesting idea. I think the higher form of being is not like the highest form of being is almost to remove the mind from it's interesting. <clears throat> and this I think we can actually go into. The higher form of being, in some sense, is to remove the mind from the body such that the individual can remain fully incarnate. Yeah, I don't want to go in that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why not? <laughs> That's a deep, dark rabbit hole that <laughs> I forgot my flashlight. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to grab my hard hat real quick. <laughs> We're going spelunking. <laughs> Philosophical spelunking. <laughs> Looking for the philosopher's stone. <laughs> <laughs> That'll lead us to the ideal society. But yeah. Um, I think like, yes, with the example you gave with the barbells, yes, it calls people to a quote-unquote higher form of being. But it still remains out of the lowest form of being. The lowest form of being is selfishness and survival. It leaves out the lowest form of being? No, the reason it brings forth a higher form of being is because of the lowest form of being. Mm. And I think ideally, people and the... Again, I'm biased in this because I'm Christian. The highest form of being is self-sacrifice for something that is far greater than yourself. 
See, I don't think you're Christian because your name is Darren, and that doesn't make sense. But my middle name? <laughs> Chris for short. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Can you repeat that one more time? Yeah, I think... Yes... Working out so that you can win your trial does put you in better shape. And so, in a sense, it brings out a higher form of being. But I think that is still only out of a need for survival and out of selfishness. Mm. Whereas I think a true higher form of being, and really the call to a higher form of being, is sacrificing what you want for some greater good for something far bigger than yourself right so you're saying if you take the same example of lifting weights that it would be better to sacrifice binging a netflix show and snacking all day sacrificing that for going to the gym and lifting weights, it would be better to do that than it would be to lift weights because of your own selfishness for survival from a, from a trial by barbell. Mm, not quite. Because, and I've seen this in some people, you could not binge Netflix and snack all day and go lift weights just to look good for other people. In which case, that's just equally selfish, in my opinion. To hush but the what, demons in your mind. Huh? <laughs> to silence the demons in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is I think it would be much better to lift weights so that you are physically capable to I don't know, help build buildings within your community or something, like work in construction than it would be to do it out of self-preservation. Because what that is is that's like the buildings that you build can last many generations beyond you and that's going to be something that outlasts you. Um, so you're arguing for a function over form e as far as physical physique is concerned. No, I'm arguing for purpose behind action rather than the action itself. Mm. I'm arguing intent over action. So that's the case. I have a question. Do you even lift, bro? Lift my head up every morning out of bed. I do one sit-up every day. <laughs> <laughs> so get my ass out of bed in the morning. It's <laughs> my daily workout routine. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so I think that's really the higher calling that I am talking about. And you can disagree with me. 
No, but I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm going to agree with everything that comes out of your mouth. Okay. We need more gun control laws. Uh, <laughs> should I edit this part out of the episode? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just saw black for a second. <laughs> it was black or red, I can't remember. <laughs> like, oh crap. <laughs> I have awakened the beast. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Help! <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, back to ideal society. Yeah. And I, an ideal society is an armed society. There we go. <laughs> At least in my opinion. I think for you, that's a utopia, not an ideal society. <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> an ideal society is a polite or. An armed society is a polite society, which is an ideal society. <laughs> yeah. And that's... Hmm. Arm the populace, let nature take its course for a couple of years, and boom, ideal society. Back onto the topic. <laughs> <laughs> um cuz like I believe that's really the ultimate form of living to a higher purpose of the separation of church and state. Yes, 100%. <laughs> um the separation of <clears throat> Yeah, the separation of the mind from the body such that you can live fully incarnate. Okay, you're going to have to break that down a little bit. <laughs> Separation from the the mind from the body so that you can live incarnate. Fully incarnate, yes. Fully incarnate. So, like, are we talking about, like, astral projection, or, like, what are we talking about here? No, we're talking about what I mentioned earlier, where basically you have something much bigger in your life that you... Basically, the things around you don't matter nearly as much. So just... and that's the separation of the mind from the body, right? You have something much bigger than you that working towards that thing is far, like, supersedes any physical thing in your life. So saying that purpose is the separation of mind from the body. Yes and no. I don't think it's merely purpose. I think it's purpose is a big, big part of it. Yes. Focus. It's like purpose. Yeah, it's that higher calling that is that causes the separation of the mind from the body. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go with purpose for now. Well, Maybe I'm just personally struggling a little bit with the, the separation of mind from the body because from a physical aspect and not that I've personally experienced this, but from reading books and hearing stories, like there is definitely 
I was hold on because so you know reading David Goggins can't hurt me. You know he talked about a lot of the the physical the physical stress that he's undergone. So like one of them being running a hundred miles in twenty four hours in a twenty four hour period mm-hmm. with hardly any training up to that point, any like long distance running training. Yeah. But even though his body physically kept wanting to, you know, shut down and everything and his mind kept telling him like kind of the, I guess the subconscious part of his mind kept telling him like, like, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through this, this, this much pain and stress? But he had to consciously override basically everything, like his entire being. Yeah. In order to push himself to be able to complete that race within 24 hours. Yeah. And he was not in any sort of elegant pretty shape afterward like it was <laughs> yeah and so like separation of the mind from the body i don't know well that's exactly what i mean when i say that i would say because i think for one a huge part of that is really just willpower and i think two i don't know if i would necessarily say necessarily say it's separation but an overriding of the automatic systems within the body via the the conscious part of the mind if that makes sense mm. like you're you're using willpower to drive your conscious thought to then drive your place within your environment if that makes sense yes but I think that you, I don't think it's merely willpower. I think it's that you have, and I don't know what it was for him, but I think you have something bigger than yourself that you're working towards. And that causes you to count everything else like as nothing (laughs) in comparison with that thing. Wouldn't that also be just a reflection of a a value hi- hierarchy as well? It it is, but I think typically things typically things are at odds within us, right? Okay, I need to do homework, but I also want to sleep, right? That's kind of at odds, and eventually you fall on one side or the other. This is different in that it is the complete and utter disregard for everything else. Would it be like a obsession? No. I think it like I think it legitimately is you eventually because we're Able, we're capable of abstraction and extrapolation, right? 
Yeah. And just, huh? Uh, just real quick, like I know this seems like we're we're a little bit off topic from Ideal Society, but I do personally, I do believe that we do kind of like get on the same page for us to continue like uh, how this relates to Ideal Society. So I yeah. think we're, yeah, we're, we're got, gonna tie this back in. We're coming yeah, back. We're uh, we're just gotta gotta iron out some wrinkles here. Kind of get on the same page. Synergistic conversations yep. on yep. a myriad of complex and complicated and topics. As a quick tie-in, like why this matters is what is ultimately good for people is what the ideal society should drive people to do. And so again, we were saying like an ideal society causes like causes people to act better, cause calls them to a higher form of being. Now we need to define what that thing is. Yes, um, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. So that's just a quick recap of where we're at and where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So we are still talking about ideal society, but we have to understand what it means. And this is as best as I understand what it means. So it's you're, you're capable of abstraction, right? And I think, Oh God, what was it? Um, I think in our episode of responsibility to others, Obligation to others, that's what it was. In our episode of Obligation to Others, I put forth the idea of, like, at some point, people counted living as a valuable thing, right? Self-preservation, like we mentioned before. But they were able to abstract living to living as a human being. To human, like, from my existence to human existence. And that's how we kind of get the idea of everyone is val valuable, right? That somehow we said that there is something good about existence. Okay. And that, that's an example of our ability to abstract. That's an example of our ability to um, to look beyond the mere physical. We're able to come up and see these abstract ideas. And I think what it is, is it's you encounter an idea that Not even an idea, but it's the value of the idea over the material. And if you follow that train, like if you pull that thread and you follow that train of thinking, I think eventually you come up to an idea that is worth more than yourself. So it's... And what that causes is that causes your mind, again, to separate from the body such that hunger is no longer this massive thing for you. Your bank account is no longer this massive thing for you. The, your material possessions, your value of other people, da-da-da-da-da, this, that, and the other, those things are compared to this idea, which, as a Christian, for me, this idea is God's purpose in my life. Like counting everything else as forfeit in comparison to that. So is is basically having a essential. Well, okay, I got like three different competing thoughts I have to <laughs> organize. <laughs> so it's like 
kind of like a kind of like a dangling carrot, right? Like the dangling carrot is the the ideal. It's the the perfection. Like, you know, a lot of people I think a lot of people believe in in well there there's a philosophy that that perfection exists or perfection is ideal, but perfection is also unattainable but that does not necessarily mean that perfection is not worth pursuing yeah and so it's again it's the it's an ideal concept that becomes kind of like a like a dangling carrot that you'll never be able to reach but that doesn't necessarily mean that that dangling carrot is not worth pursuing and yeah. so you're saying that and so that's what gives purpose and that's what as you say separates the mind from the body because mm-hmm. you're you're consciously focused on on that that una, unattainable ideal yeah and that's what drives you forward and so then that so if 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 that presumption is correct then going back to the ideal society, I guess we can kind of take this in two aspects towards the ideal society. Mm-hmm. Obviously, within ideal society, there's the idea of ideal. So then does the ideal society become that carrot that's never attainable, but it's still worth pursuing? And so then to answer the question, is idea worth pursuing? Well, then yes. And then two, does, does the, is the ideal society built in such a way that there that intrinsically there is an individual that individual purpose that individual that dangling carrot for the individual built in yeah. intrinsically built into the to the society yeah i've got like four different ideas on that <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think that the ideal society is that higher calling in and of itself. I think that an ideal society would, by the mere system, call people to that. Yeah. Um, and that's my personal definition. And And so... With that, I actually think we can talk about ideal society in two different ways. One is that, which I don't know if that's attainable. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know if that's even worth pursuing. Because I don't know how you make a system that calls that. In my personal opinion, that that kind of a higher calling is a very personal thing and not something that happens as a mere result of the system in which you're in. Um, but I think you can talk about ideal society in another sense of people of basically that a system that supports the actions of people who do that who have that ideal and are pursuing it. Um, something like that, or like a meritocracy in which just like the good things you do kind of determines your place within society. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, but also feel like it's kind of a little bit contradicting to kind of what we've already established for an ideal society, though. It is. <laughs> so I think <clears throat> I think we do have to kind of resolve that issue. And just to be clear, the kind of contra- contradiction I'm talking about is, you know, we said that at least so far, we've established that an ideal society needs two things. One, to be flexible enough to be able to resolve problems that that arise within the society. And then two, and kind of the part of the, the conflict is that the society is able to is able to function even with the even with individual corruption. Which Well the idea was to mitigate corruption. Mitigate corruption, which I guess one would think that a in order to do that you would have to at least a solution to that would be to to call the individual in the society to a higher form of being and and abandon their own personal corruption but now we're saying that and correct me if I'm wrong if I if I'm Miss something here, but now we're saying that that that's not attainable and it's not worth pursuing. And I, like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not questioning it, questioning, uh, questioning it, and any sort of judgmental aspect. I'm questioning it, trying to make sure that I'm, I'm on the same page of. Yeah, of, yeah. And I think, yeah, like I think that. I don't know that, again, because that's a personal thing, I think that's a personal choice at some point in your life. And something after thinking and after exploring that you encounter, I don't think that that's something that society can do, is essentially what I'm saying. And with that, I don't think trying to create a system that does that is worth pursuing. But what I do think is that you can create a system such as a meritocracy that supports good action, let's say, whatever good means. And, you know, that's another big part of this discussion is how do you define good? Very I've got a loose. <laughs> well, I've got a loose definition that I think is pretty close to right, but I don't think that... Um, that definition is concrete enough to build a system around it. What's good for you and the people around you? (laughs) Yep. But I think you can create a system that does that and culturally has the elements and the tools in place to at least point people in the right direction towards that higher calling. I think realistically that's probably as close as we could get. Mm. And I I would say that that's worth pursuing. Um, But yeah, I don't think that you can create a society that calls people to a higher purpose in a proper sense. Well, wouldn't a meritocracy technically 
at least because of meritocracy, ideally rewards the individual for the good things they do. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Then wouldn't that inherently call the individual to a higher form of being in order to be properly rewarded? And wouldn't that would that also kind of lead back to kind of justice in, in some sense and justice and consequences in that you output some sort of good into the environment, the environment responds some sort of good for the individual. And so with some level of trial and error, the more good that you can do, the the more good that'll be receptive and vice versa for you know bad actions. So yes. But that's not the same kind of higher form of being that I'm talking about. Again, the higher form of being that I'm talking about is a separation of the mind from the body. It's more intrinsic than external. Yeah, it's much more in your purpose and in your intent than it is in your actions. Um, well, I think with a meritocracy, though, the reaping the rewards is, I guess, again, ideally, would be the reap, reaping the rewards for good actions is would ideally be guaranteed but specifically which rewards will be given would basically basically be up to the individual and so wait what so if it's if it's a meritocracy right like Mm-hmm. Like you, you get merits for doing good things, right? And then yeah. demerits for bad things, kind of like we're all in kindergarten. And <laughs> remember the merit store? Oh my god, That's... <laughs> those were dark days. <laughs> um, but that doesn't a meritocracy doesn't. Sure, it doesn't intrinsically drive an individual to to call themselves to a higher form of being. But it does inherently it is inherently it is a call for a higher form of being to some extent, unless you're a masochist, but um Well my point was Basically, you're still getting the merits out of selfishness. Purely out of, like... Yeah. Things that you want for yourself. And so I don't Mm. think that that's a higher form of being. I think that's still just self-preservation and selfishness. But the good thing that it does do is it results in good for the society and for the people in it. Well, then that begs the question, would someone who's intrinsically driven by their own by calling themselves to a higher form of being would they receive more benefits than someone who's driven by mere selfishness depending on how you build the system yes hmm. but again like how do you eh maybe not necessarily cuz like how do you determine 
how do you determine what the intent is behind the good actions? Exactly, exactly. So people can do plenty of good actions for um, merit, and again, it's still, still, still selfish. And actually, there's a very interesting, um, very interesting, it was an anime that I was watching where basically they deal with like different forms of society each episode. Um, and one of them was a meritocracy, like doing good things. If people reported it, gave you points. And that was kind of your status within the society. And if you dropped into the negative, then you did like social work until you got back into the positive. The guy that created the society um, basically spent his entire life helping other people for one purpose. Do you know what that was? Hmm. Selfishness? To get enough points to kill a person without there being any negative consequence. Oh. And the way the episode ended was the guy didn't do it, but it still kind of left the question of like... What if? Would, yeah, would doing those works actually change every person that did them? Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. But where I think that that's good is it does leverage even this negative and the selfishness of the individual towards the good of the world around him allows for the people that find that higher calling and that higher purpose to do well. And if you include the culture in it as well, puts the cultural elements in place for people to discover a higher purpose. Hmm. Fascinating. So it sounds to me like so far some kind of meritocracy is is a potential candidate for for at least being integrated in some form of ideal society. Yes. Question is how do you how do you build a meritocracy? What was defined as merit? Hmm. I mean, in some instances, you can consider like currency as merit. Yeah, and so in that, an argument can be made that capitalism is a meritocracy. I'm not going to make the argument that capitalism is an ideal meritocracy, but. Yeah. Is good in the fact that, like, you do good thing. Well, you do things that give you more money, <laughs> and you move up in the social ladder. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I personally don't like the idea of like it's not what you know is who you know. It's like you can know a whole bunch of people and get into a really good position and not know how to do your job and be like make things hard for everybody. <laughs> That's so that's the point. other issue with a meritocracy. That's my personal opinion. But then but then if I can if I can take a swing at what you're about to say. Okay. Issue with meritocracy is you can bypass the whole merit system by just connecting with people. Yeah. So either you do it one of two ways. Either you have 
set rules on what is good and what isn't. In which case, that like who changes that rule set? And that rule set is highly inelastic. If you make it elastic, it's very um, subject to corruption. Mm. Or you make it social-based, in which case it's no longer a meritocracy, but it's a popularity contest. Yeah. So those... And that's kind of the issue with meritocracy is how do you measure merit? Yeah. And what's the intrinsic value of merit? Yeah, yeah. And what can merit allow you to do and what can merit not allow you to do? Um, and stuff like that. And it's like, how do you quantify this in such a way that it is not very corruptible and is highly elastic? <laughs> And that's well, kind of the... Sorry, go ahead. Well, can you... Hmm. Could could there be a way where you can somehow intersect merit, or, yeah, the, the idea of merit, time, quantity, and quality, where... If you can get the most, you get the most productivity in the shortest amount of time without sacrificing quality. Some, some. If there's if there's a way to to measure that in some sort of standard, could that equate to some level of merit? So it's not. Based on well, then I guess you'd have to have some sort of accountability system, yeah, so that you know. And because we're talking about almost a fictional ideal society, let's say that we can implement modern technology into it to kind of help regulate it, right? Security cameras in your house when you're working from working from home. <laughs> um, <laughs> Punch cards. My point in that is, yeah, like we could create those kinds of systems. And in theory, we could also make them secure to where, like, make it on a closed network that no one can actually get into and has access to, to where it's, you know, a inelastic static system. <laughs> um, but the point is, like, at least for data gathering, let's say that we can implement that if that's what we want to do. Um, I think, yeah, and maybe this is a good place to start our conversation on ideal society. Um, <laughs> as if we haven't been talking about it already. Um, is like maybe putting to the side for a moment, um, our differences. No, like, um, meritocracy. Let's say, okay, we want to work towards some form of meritocracy. Actually, before I dive into that, we, we should define how we would measure merit. Um, 
And yeah, I think it's just such a hard thing to define. <laughs> See, merit isn't the ideal society. It's not about the ideal society. It's about the friends we make along the way. Yes. Because family. Because family. <laughs> oh, man. Um... Yeah, this is a tough topic. This is a very hard topic. <laughs> We're only almost halfway through the episode. <laughs> well, we still have a lot to talk about, so. Um, Do we, though? We still have power, education, and culture, and, like, how we're actually going to implement all of this into a singular system. Oh, God. <laughs> and I guess merit now. If we do stick with a, a meritocracy. Yeah. See, okay. Kind of a side note here. So I haven't read the entirety. I know last episode I did make the joke that this is basically a 21st century rendition of Plato's Republic by two game chair philosophers who are not subject matter experts. But and an example of our lack of subject matter expertise is not knowing what a merit is. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I used to... So I didn't actually read the uh, Plato's Republic, but I did listen to a little bit of the audiobook. And you know, I, I didn't listen to the entire thing, I, but I did listen to a good portion of it. And it seemed like just that conversation was a very one-sided conversation. Like, it was basically Plato and then Glaucon as the yes-man. You mean Socrates? Socrates and Glaucon as the yes-man. And, like, basically everything Socrates said, Glaucon was like, yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, I don't see any other way that that could have gone. Yeah, no, I... You are a very wise man. Very wise words. Whereas here, you know, at least we have two people that have two... At least have, have different ideas. And so we can better... Or, I guess, for one, better articulate ourselves and... And be able to critique our ideas and have, you know, kind of an iron sharpeneth iron type of situation. And so yeah, I think but I the think... issue is neither of us are Socrates. <laughs> now if you got two Socrates <laughs> together. <laughs> Interesting idea. Wouldn't they just agree on everything though? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but then it was also written by Plato, so it's like I guess really, well, and the other question is, was Plato's Republic written before or after the allegory of the cave? Because that was also kind of similar. Uh, the allegory of the cave <laughs> was in the Republic, but this could just be my history being false. I don't know. Oh yeah, um, is an allegory... Presented by the Greek philosopher Plato in his work Republic. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. The effect of Cer education and lack of it on our nature. <laughs> Certified dumbass here confirmed. <laughs> 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 well, I guess the point I was trying to make was, I guess to my knowledge of history at that time period was Plato or the specifically the allegory of the cave was written after. 
Socrates was sentenced to death by the government at the time for they accused him of brainwashing their youth when I guess in reality he was really just questioning people within the society and really trying to in some essence call them to a higher purpose of thinking at least and so the I've heard it said that the intent behind Allegory of the Cave was that Plato was really trying to Basically, Plato made an allegory of Socrates and Glaucon telling an allegory of the cave in order to try to help his society see what they've done, basically. And so, then the real question is, if the allegory of the cave is part of the Plato's Republic, then does the rest of the Republic also follow that same line where it's really Plato's thoughts, but he's writing through his reincarnated character of Socrates. Are those, are the, the argument arguments that Socrates makes in Plato's Republic actually Socrates arguments, or are they just Plato's arguments through Socrates, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's a very good question. One that we don't know the answer to. <laughs> and that is, a another side of it is like there I know there have been many other authors that have created characters to have dialogues to exemplify um their arguments, and so Plato is not the only one that has if he made up Socrates that has done something like that, but also any... Socrates might have existed well, I'm not saying he made up Socrates. What I'm arguing is, are the arguments presented in the Republic those of Socrates or those of Plato? For for one, and then for two, not only do are those arguments presented, but it doesn't. At least it didn't seem to me like those arguments were challenged in any way by Glaucon. And so, in that respect, I would argue that our conversation here about the ideal society, because we have two people with I guess really independent thought, not just one person with independent thought and a yes man. I would argue that even though we might not be subject matter experts, that our conversation here has some level of quality that Plato's Republic doesn't have. Well, yeah, that's kind of the hope of Philosopher's Stone. Exactly. Yeah. And I I don't think that I don't think that Plato's Republic was written to be long-form discussion. I think it was written to put arguments together and tie them as an idea. Um, whereas the point of Philosopher's Stone is to have discussions and to sharpen each other's minds through discussion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Could How does not... that relate to ideal society? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just... <laughs> A little breather from yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to. <laughs> I'm procrastinating from trying to define what a merit is. <laughs> trying to distract the audience here. <laughs> One of the audience members just googles it real quick. It's like I don't know why this is taking them so long. <laughs> it's simple. Just Google it. Let's see. 
Ah, yes. Superior quality or worth. Excellent. So you reward by excellence. Um, but... Yeah, so let's say you have a way of defining merit. We'll come back to that topic, circle back around to it. We'll put a pin in that for the time being. Um, and the question I would like to bring forward is kind of moving on to power. Is like, how do you... How do you, like decide who has power within the society nobody pure anarchy i'm kidding i mean an anarchy doesn't everybody wait what nothing continue <laughs> so well i think kind of going along with that is what is the balance between tyranny and freedom. If you were to take the hermetic principle of polarity, how would you... Because you would... Personally, I feel like freedom is very intrinsically valuable. <clears throat> However... There could be an argument made that there has to be some level of tyranny as well. There has to be some sort of governmental structure and order. And so where... How do you find that balance where, I guess, balance and power really between the people and the government where it's rigid enough to function but flexible enough to again, solve problems that, that arise. And I, I don't know if that's in any way related to your question regarding power. Wait, restate the question? So I think I missed the first part of it. So if you, were to look at, if you were to look at absolute freedom and absolute tyranny as the polar opposites on a gradient according to hermetic principle of polarity which we talked about in our last episode yesterday what would be when it comes to power what would be the balance between and let's say that absolute freedom would be absolute power of the people versus tyranny absolute tyranny would be absolute power of the government what would be the balance between the two where you have enough tyranny to have a rigid societal structure that functions, but is also flexible enough, and the people have enough power where the society can, can solve problems that arise, if that makes sense. Well, like I was saying earlier, I don't think that the placement of the power determines that. I think it's the running of the system that determines that. I think mm -hmm. that you can still have a fully free country that lives under a monarch. It's like one person having ultimate power. 
I guess it just depends on how that person runs it. If they don't run it such that people are free, then people aren't free. But if he runs it such that people are free, then people are free. So then I guess a vital part of this conversation would be what would be the definition of freedom? I think that is a great question. <laughs> um, because I think... Yeah, I think that freedom can be looked at in many different ways and i think this leads into another question that i've had which sorry i don't mean to bring more questions into the um conversation but um i think that you can ask sorry i lost my train of thought for half a sec the question is what is the purpose of the system of laws? And this is something that I kind of brought to you yesterday, I think, um, of like, is the purpose of law to maximize everyone's freedoms or is the purpose of law to help people move towards what is good? Hmm. Like, and... I think originally, whenever it comes to the making of rules and the making of laws, originally it's for people's protection. Like, we don't do this because when we do this, people die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is a bad thing. And so that's a, li- like, that's a limit on your freedom. That rule is a limit on your freedom, but it's for the good of the people within the society. Um, and I think... Th- In my mind, I think that things branched out from there in two directions, one direction being culture, the other direction being, we'll say, politics or legislation. Um, Of We have kind of cultural norms and cultural ideas and cultural things that we do and don't do, which I think is as best as we understand what is good for us, and then legislation, which is a set of rules that we abide by. But I also think that those two things are related to one another, and many of the rules that we have put forward have been to work towards the good of people, and more protecting people from metaphysical bad things rather than physical bad things. Does that make sense? I think so. And by that, I mean like... And this this will not be contentious at all. Not at all. Um, (laughs) The banning of certain drugs is like, well, which I know this wasn't necessarily the intent behind it, but I'm simply using it as a quick and easy reach for an example of like, drugs are bad for people. (laughs) And not necessarily purely in a physical sense, but like, it's bad for you metaphysically. Yeah, Um, we have pharmacies. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the government said if people are going to be doing drugs, at least we want some money off of it. <laughs> Anyways, again, um, not trying to step into that political argument, but more so just trying to exemplify the idea that of things, laws passed such that things work in our favor metaphysically, not just physically. 
Okay, so I think there are a few things to unpack there. So I guess in, in my perspective, I think if laws are to exist, then they should only exist as protection of, of I guess, really individuals like rights as defined by something inherent to existence, if that makes sense. Okay. So again, kind of going back to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so I believe laws should exist to to protect those, at least those fundamental fundamental rights of the individual. And well, I'm not going to go there, but the other thing, you're talking about the metaphysical. Mm-hmm. One could argue that religion is very heavily or exists very heavily in the metaphysical. Okay. And so if you have societal laws created by a government that involve the metaphysical, then that would be a breach of the separation of church and state in some regard. And so I don't know if I would necessarily say that that would entirely be a good thing. And so I think I think if laws are to exist, they should only exist in the realm of the physical to preserve the inherent again, the inherent rights of the individual as a mode of being, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I disagree. Okay. How so? I Yes, I do think religion exists heavily on the metaphysical, but this is why I kind of bring this forward is, which I think terms are getting very, very muddy because we didn't think you know, we'd have, a, have so many terms to define in this discussion. <laughs> we should have just had like a running list for this discussion. <laughs> um, but like we can talk about freedoms in terms of like freedom of speech, right? And okay. we'll define that as a physical freedom for the time being of, hey, you have a voice, you can talk. And we're not going to ban you from talking or compel you to say certain things. You know what? Because you disagree with me, I'm going to kick you from the certain. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I like the server. Well, I like you. I like you too. Oh, gracious. Um, <laughs> but that's that. And we can talk about that as a freedom. But I do think that there are other freedoms that come about as a almost as a form of discipline and discipline by nature is a limit on your freedoms like there are things that you're able to do only through putting forth work and um working towards 
those things rather than doing whatever you want. That's kind of my caution in this is I don't, I'm very cautious with the topic of freedom because I don't think that freedom means you get to do whatever you want. I think what freedom means is you are best equipped to make the best steps forward. And so with that, I do think that you can make laws that have metaphysical consequences. Um, to basically mitigate some of the lack of discipline within people's lives. Does that make sense at all? Yes, and I I agree with you in that I don't I think it's very easy for you know, we talk about freedoms a lot. I think it's very easy to look at freedoms from a very hedonistic standpoint. Again, like you said, like I have freedoms, therefore I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Which I don't think is necessarily the intent behind freedoms. Freedoms is like, okay, you have these tools to support you and give you the opportunity to create the best life in the best environment for yourself, which I believe comes with kind of like what, what you were saying comes with some level of self-discipline and self uh, kind of improvement, I guess, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not life, liberty, and the automatic guarantee of happiness. It's not. Wait, happiness isn't guaranteed? No, it's not. Uh, it's not gratif. It's not immediate gratification of happiness. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that's like, there's. I can there's, have whatever I want. I think there's an important word there that seems to be, at least in my opinion, seems to be very heavily overlooked. Yeah, yeah. And pursuit, I think, actually, kind of goes back to our uh, previous discussion a little bit. Is that. You know, you have the, the dangling carrot, and so in order to get the dangling carrot, you got to pursue the carrot, right? You have ha happiness, right, as a, I guess, kind of a an idealistic goal. And so you have the right to pursue that, you know, like we have the, the idealistic future versus the unbearable present, and our goal in life is to is to transform the idealistic future into the present. Grass is always greener on the other side, type of deal, and so, and so, yeah. I think, in regards to to freedom, and I don't know if this answers your question or anything, but I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think freedoms are necessarily intended to be taken in any sort of hedonistic fashion. I think freedoms are intended to to provide the opportunity to to pursue things that are that are better for you as an individual pursue i guess ways to better yourself pursue you know all that kind of good stuff yeah they're supposed to be tools in your belt that help propel you forward that's kind of the purpose of freedoms in my opinion mm -hmm. um and not, like, necessities in and of themselves. Because I think the other part of it is freedom 
in some sense is power. It gives you the power to do things. That's what freedom is. That's what liberty is. But as I've kind of mentioned before, like, I think you and I kind of agree that power and responsibility go hand in hand. I believe that they're really kind of the same thing. But, um, I like, if you're going to be free and that gives you power, I think that also should call you to be responsible. Yes, and I think one of our commenters on... Actually, I'm pretty sure it's our last episode of Ideal Society. They said something that's really stuck with me. And they said that freedom is dangerous. Which, if you really think about it, it it really... Like, it's true. And so, like, not... Like, I think with freedom, not only do you have the freedom and the opportunity to succeed, but with that... You also have the freedom and the opportunity to fail as well. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, and I know we're kind of like harping on on freedom, but I think it's very, especially in this discussion, especially when we talk about power, I think it's very critical that we kind of nail down this this concept of freedom, at least as far as as this discussion goes, so we can you know tie it back to ideal society. But yeah, so I think I think. With the power of freedom comes the inherent comes inherent responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's I think that is a you know, kind of going back, I think that's something that's not you know, we talk about freedoms, but we don't necess- I don't think we very often we really we really fully understand the impact that that like everything that is implied by the idea, the concept of freedom. I think it's very easy to look at it from a very hedonistic standpoint and not understand that there is some level of responsibility associated with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I mean, I think that's a big question to ask when you're asking for freedom is like, do you want to be responsible at the end of the day? Um, But... Going back to society and your kind of question on power, and that's where I think yeah, I think that freedoms are something that's kind of difficult to define and probably should change depending on the people within the society. Um, But I think that that they need to be tools to help people move forward and to like, yes, you're putting responsible on people, but you're also empowering them to lift up them and the people around them. Um, so I guess is, can you kind of give a little bit more of a, maybe like a concrete example of, of, kind of what you mean by that um i'll try no promises i think or maybe at least like a hypothetical yeah yeah like i mean i think one great example technology has 
advanced rapidly, and I mean ridiculously rapidly, um, over the last several decades. And now there are actually many, many limits on our technology, right? Most technology doesn't allow you to mess with the software and doesn't allow you to break into it. And part of the reason for that is so that people can't hack, and that's a limit on freedom. Um, and there are many, many other limits on freedom in the realm of technology that I think just most people don't really care about. And that's an interesting thing is that most of the times whenever we're talking about freedoms, it's only the freedoms that matter, um, at that moment. But yeah, I think technology is a good example. Um, things like, I think CRISPR technology is banned. I could be wrong. Um, Here, keep, keep going. I'll be right back. Oh no. Uh, my phone is going off. I got to silence it real quick. All right. Gotcha. But yeah, CRISPR technology, I think is banned. I could be wrong, but there's also limits on access to like, say radioactive materials, that's a limit on freedom, so on and so forth. And like, we don't necessarily talk about a lot of these because they don't necessarily affect our day-to-day lives but i think that there you know maybe was or will be a time in which one or more of these freedoms should be or one or more of these limits on freedoms should be removed so that people can move forward with um with this stuff i think also Hmm. Yeah, there there's a lot of limits on freedom, and I think that those limits on freedom have been placed there for some good reason, but yeah, those freedoms are going to come and go, and I think that that is important. It's like, what do you want citizens to be responsible for? Do you want citizens to be responsible for dying because of nuclear radiation, or do you want citizens to be responsible for nuking of people? Like, imagine if we just allowed nuclear arms to be spread similar to, you know, guns and rifles and whatnot. Um, I don't think that that's a particularly great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just that's a whole other mess right there. Yeah, but my point is that there are just limits on a lot of our freedoms and those limits do kind of come and go. Um, but it's like what do you want your society to be responsible for? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Uh I don't know. I I don't know if I if I hmm. <laughs> You don't know if you what. I got to try to think of a response <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't get too political. <laughs> 
Oh man, it's gonna be. Let's stick with philosophy. Um, hmm. Yes. So, from a philosophical abstract point, I think that as far as society goes, you the freedoms that you allow to your citizens is going to decide what you want them to be responsible for. And I do think that they do need to be responsible. Um, you can't treat your society like infants, but I do think that there also needs to be limitations on that responsibility. So here's... Oh, that's tough. Because on the one hand... So I think taking responsibility includes accepting the consequences of of your actions. Yeah. And so if you make dumb decisions, I believe that you should be responsible for the outcome of those dumb decisions. Yeah. As a responsible individual, I don't think, I think that the, however, I think the outcome of those dumb decisions should be mitigated to other people who don't necessarily have any say in that decision that is being made. If that makes Say sense. That again. So, I think. So, I I don't think that other people should be responsible and bearing the burden of the consequences of those dumb decisions. If that makes sense. Yes. So. But, sorry. Go ahead. So, if we were to take maybe like. Drunk driving, for instance, right? You know, getting absolutely plastered and then getting behind the wheel of a vehicle, in my opinion, is a little bit of a dumb decision. Going to a bar without a plan on getting home, to me, is a dumb decision. <laughs> like, uh. Can't you going... just drive home? Huh? Can't you just drive home? I mean, you can try. Good, Good luck. <laughs> Good luck seeing the road, but and so if someone were to make a dumb decision like that and then end up getting their car wrapped around a tree, like you know, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You know, you like you know, you fuck around then you find out. That's just how life works. However, you know, getting in a head on collision and you know, some family uh, family member in the other vehicle ends up passing away because of your decision, I don't think is okay. Because they had no choice in the matter. And so I think laws and rules that that mitigate the effects of 
those kind of decisions, those negative decisions, mitigate those effects towards other people, I think are to some extent good. Oh, that's also a very complicated topic. So what you're saying is we need specified lanes for drunk people to drive on, such that if they crash, they won't affect other traffic? Yes, with guardrails and everything. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so we need have walls a... on the sides? We need to have drunk lanes. <laughs> also known as drains. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Slowly washing away the stupid from our society. <laughs> Remove themselves from the gene pool. <laughs> Maybe the collective IQ will will rise again. <laughs> oh man! But to poke at your argument a little bit, okay, just a little bit. Um, first and foremost, can the decisions that you like do the decisions you make really? ever have no consequence on the people around you. That's the first question. Second question is an argument can be made that the other person in the other vehicle that wasn't drunk driving did take a risk that he would encounter a drunk driver on the road, right? Like in some ways it's a freedom to drive on these nice city roads that are built for us. <laughs> nice being a uh, questionable word there, but... <laughs> Especially where I live. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Quite literally, a hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how fast you're going. <laughs> the accuracy of that statement makes me want to cry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's a freedom to get to drive on roads that are made for you to drive on. Um, and you like, you're stepping into a very powerful vehicle that can easily kill many, many people Mm, willfully deciding to do that to get yourself from one point to another. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, if you really think about it, it's crazy how much power white lines on asphalt have. Yeah, and a mutual agreement to not play bumper cars while going forty-five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's insane the fact that our society actually runs. Um, <laughs> but like the argument can be made, like the person that passed away in the other vehicle knew that was part of the risk. I guess depending on well, that's, that <laughs> argument is questionable. I feel like, but at least the driver, hypothetically speaking, is. I mean, again, um, freedom necessitates power. Power necessitates responsibility. Yeah. Um, but my point in that is like, the driver. Yeah, he might have done it illegally, but he was still doing something he was theoretically free to do. As I always say, it's only illegal if you get caught. Um, 
yeah, he acted on a freedom and has to take responsibility for that. But similarly, I think the other driver also acted on a freedom and they have to take responsibility for that. See, this is why subjectivity is such a weird... Anytime you throw subjectivity into the mix, it just makes things so much more complicated. It would be nice if we lived in an objective world, wouldn't it? It would be... <laughs> it'd be boring, but it'd be nice. It'd be, it'd be boring. Subjectivity is more fun, but subjectivity is significantly <laughs> more complicated. Double-edged sword. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... And then how does all this tie back into ideal society? You know what? Screw it. I think anarchy. Anarchy is the way to go. Just... <laughs> Just let nature run its course. <laughs> nature run its course. Survival of the fittest, you know? Um. But... Yeah, so I think that freedoms are pretty mutable, and I think that it's difficult to argue contrary to that. Mm. But that still brings back the question of who has power. Um, who decides what freedoms people have? That is a very big question. I think... Because uh, hmm. there could be an argument for, like, if you're, if you're talking from strictly a, I guess, an evolutionary standpoint to some extent, applying some level of evolution to a society... You could say that the society should be run by run by the strongest individuals, and I I mean I don't mean strongest strict purely from a physical standpoint, but uh, it could be also from an intellectual standpoint. Like the genetically superior <laughs> individuals, well, whatever that might look like. Yeah, even that I think you have to. Even that, there's complication within that. So, um, a quick example is like, which is more genetically superior, being right-handed or left-handed? Uh, right-handed, obviously. Well, actually, whenever it comes to combat, being left-handed gives you an advantage. Because right-handed people, 90% of the time, come across a right-handed person. Who are they used to fighting? Right-handed people, right? Yeah. And so left-handed people have an advantage in combat so long as the population remains primarily right-handed. If they're doing a one-on-one. -on -one. However, considering the population is for right-handed people are outnumber, or hypothetically outnumber left-handed people, then a left-handed person trying to take out 10 right-handed people, unless he's a very good martial artist, I doubt he'll be very successful. In okay. <laughs> so again, yes, but we're talking about genetics, not we're not well. I, 
population. That's a different situation. But it's still yeah. the principle of the strongest, though, because you know there is Not... also strength in numbers. Yeah, you're. <laughs> <laughs> My point is numbers isn't genetic. My point okay, is, true. like, yes, one left-handed person against ten right-handed people, yeah, he's not going to be great, but same thing the other way around. One right-handed person against ten left-handed people, he's kind of screwed. Um, yeah. and, but my point is, like, there is a genetic advantage to being left-handed, but that genetic advantage is only there so long as the population is primarily right-handed. Yes. So, but I think that's that's kind of diving a little too deep to to kind of my point in that that I guess from an evol well yeah from an evolutionary standpoint well would it really be evolutionary standpoint there could be an argument made that the society should be run by the strongest individuals. I, well, maybe not strongest individuals, but the most whatever, evolutionarily equipped. Uh, well, that's. I think that's also that. I think we'd have to be careful with that because that could also directly lead us back to genetics, which might, which I don't think is the would be the sole determination of strength, because again, there are strength in numbers. I mean, if you look at so the French Revolution, are you saying then? <laughs> so. Okay, French Revolution. Uh, so you have, you know, the the aristocracy, right? The 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 quote unquote powerful individuals, and it's really just a a war between the powerful aristocracy versus the numbers of the people. And I think to a certain, I mean, it was all like absolutely chaos and everything. But I think if my knowledge of history serves me correct, like numbers outweighed. Fabulous wear attire. Fabulous attire. <laughs> oh, the the yes. population of the people, the or the the numbers of of kind of the common people, the the power of of that, like far overwhelmed the quote unquote power of the 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 rich and famous. If that like, if I can use that phrase, and so and that. I guess in that instance, I guess really, the society for a while was run by the mob. The mob was the strongest entity at that point, and so because of their strength in numbers, for for a period they basically ran the society. Yes, but I don't think that's an ideal society. I don't think it's an ideal society either. But I'm <laughs> saying that. I'm using that as the guy that started it was also beheaded by the same mob. <laughs> huh? Considering the guy that started it was also beheaded by the same mob. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, it's absolute madness. But um Yeah, I'm just using that as an example to kind of like prove not necessarily my argument, but I'm just saying an argument can be made that a society can be run by the strongest individual. You ask wh who should who should the power be given to? I'm just saying that there there can be an argument made that in some instances a society can be run by the strongest, whatever, in whatever form 
the quote unquote strongest um appears in, if that makes sense. It can, but what's ideal? That was my question. Yeah. So I think we can rule out the mob. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the mob is pretty good. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, what do you what do you think? Um, guilds. Guilds. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think. A gilded meritocracy. Who can the power be given to to mitigate corruption and maximize elasticity? Balance. Between the government and the people. No. Balance between... Merit and function. I don't know. What? (laughs) Between, like, doing things for merit, but then also the function of what that system is doing. Wouldn't Wouldn't merit be the one promoting the function? Like, wouldn't... Well, not function specifically, but... Uh, going back to the the pinned discussion, so let's put a pin on who the power should go to. <laughs> we're just gonna introduce all the topics and then be like, "Well, we're out of time for today, guys." <laughs> we got like forty minutes left, so yeah. So okay, so we got a pin in merit. meritocracy and what a merit is. We got. I think we should put a pin in who the power should go to. And so you said the ideal society should have three basic components. The power, education, and culture. Education and culture. So what would you, would you put meritocracy in with the culture or nah fam? I mean, I think merit would be throughout the entire system. Hmm. Because you think like, okay, what culturally, what do we typically value within America? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> True, but I think we all value money pretty highly. It may not be the highest, but I think we all value it pretty highly. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Because money is merit. Yeah, we live in a capitalist society. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think merit would be sprinkled throughout the entire thing. And like you think within our society being capitalistic, what, why do we get educated so that we can make money? What do we value as a culture? Money. And hmm? technically, I guess from from what I've learned from my economics class, we're not technically a pure capitalistic society. We're technically a kind of market society. Yeah, we're, we're not... Market really... economy, I should say. 
I'll just, yeah. I don't, I'm not a subject, subject, I'm not subject matter expert enough to, to really be able to, to tell you strictly what the differences are, but. Well, another thing to keep in mind is that we also have the backdrop of the Judeo-Christian tradition, which puts a monkey wrench into all of these ideals. <laughs> but my point is like, as far as the three parts of society, power, education, and culture, money seems to be incorporated in all of them. It's something that we talk about in all aspects, right? Mm-hmm. And even in power within government, some of the biggest topics are tax and um, like where government funds are going and government spending. government spending and our credit and our debt and all this, that, and the other and our economy. Um, yeah. So, and I do think that, like, at least as far as societies go, money is a big part of it. And that's so that's not purely a byproduct of being capital in some form of a capitalist society. Um, but I do think that it exacerbates that issue. Um, and so, my point with that is I think if merit is kind of determines how well you do within the society it's going to be sprinkled throughout all three power education and culture hmm. okay so so then the question is would we have to define merit in order to figure out how merit can be can be incorporated into those three branches of the ideal society. Probably. <laughs> and real quick, why I think those three are the three that we need to talk about. Um, I think power... Uh, Real quick, just kind of power and education. I think power determines how the government changes form, and education is how you pass on what we've learned to the next generation. So that's why those two are a big part. And then I think culture is kind of what helps keep people pointed in the right direction as far as where to go. Does so, that make sense? yeah, but so I think, and maybe we won't get to this now, but. I think when we do start talking about culture, we will kind of have to define like what culture is in regards to regards to this discussion. But before we do that, I think we should circle back and try to talk about merit and figure out how to define merit. Yeah. Yeah. As should we equate merit to money? But then that's not like. If you... I don't think merit should be equal to money. I think merit, and maybe this ties into power, but like I think it should be maybe something akin to, um, hmm. Here's an idea. What if we made it to where base, you know, like in a video game, very rarely you start with everything unlocked in a video game, right? Uh, no, I typically start with everything unlocked. Okay, well, you can hack the system, but <laughs> okay. for most of us regular gamers, 
when we play a game, we start with a lot of things locked. And what do you do to unlock things? Mods. You complete the challenges. You do the... In in theory, you gain merit, and gaining merit unlocks things for you. Oh. And so what we could do is we could say that basically merit in some sense defines what is open to you. So like say we were to do a mixed constitution similar to America, you couldn't be president unless you had a certain amount of merit earned. Like you're just barred from that. Does that make sense? <laughs> uh <laughs> what? I mean, on the surface, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> like, but, yeah. Um... And similarly, like, say you are an immigrant into our ideal country. In theory, if you earn enough merit, you become a citizen. <laughs> okay. And similarly, like, yeah, just certain things within the society, you would just need a certain amount of merit to do, right? Um, so, so the, so the question is, and this kind of leads back to power, who has the responsibility of issuing the merit? Um, and how do you earn merit? Those are kind of two big questions. <sighs> Because I think based on how you earn it, you can decide who issues it. Um, if it's doing acts of public service, people can report it. Um, if it's like doing work or something like that, then you can have some sort of locked camera system that nobody has access to and have some AI that can measure it or something like that. Um, so... Or you can just have it be within the group. I think, honestly, I think the guild system might actually work well with this. Okay, so I know outside of our podcast, you've talked about the guild system. So, Which, would... quick disclaimer, is not my idea, just one that I heard from someone close to me and was like, ah, that's a very interesting idea, um, and I'm still chewing on it, so. So to the best, at this point, to the best of your knowledge and ability, uh, would you mind taking a moment and enlightening uh, us and the audience to the idea of the, the guild system? Because from, from what little I've heard about it, it does, I, I would agree, it does seem like, a, like an interesting, like a good system. Yeah, so the idea is, let's say, basically for all the functions of society it would work there would be guilds for those functions so let's say um like clothes right everyone needs clothes you would have guilds that make clothes and those and so if you wanted to make clothes for your life if you wanted you know be a fashion designer or something like that you would join one of these guilds they would educate you in how to do that thing and based on your work within that guild, you could rise up in that guild. 
And so I think that what you could do with that system is you could make it, as far as merit goes, you could make it to where guilds can issue merit, like a certain amount of merit to their, um, to the people within their guilds based on the size of the guilds, like the number of people within it, as well as the guild's reputation amongst the rest of the guilds. So then, so clearly with this, there'd have to be a hierarchical system within the guilds. Yes, there very much would. And so, so, go ahead. Well, I guess the question is, how are the, would the hierarchical system be developed by like popular vote within the guild or like how, and then what's to keep a guild of guild leaders from coming together to create problems for other guilds and and allow corruption to to flow through the the guild system. Yes, and that is a question I posed to the person that shared this idea with me, and I'm going to try and defend that as best as I can. Uh, to your first question, which was how does like the system work within the guilds? I think that would be up to the guild. Say mm-hmm. I start a guild for cloud computing, right? I can make it just I rule everything. Anyone who joins my guild, like, have to come on my terms and my rules. Mm. Or I can make it, no, we're kind of going to have a diplomatic approach to it, popular vote. But the thing to understand is I wouldn't be the only cloud computing guild. And so the guilds that do well, as both internally and externally, are the ones that are going to have the most merit, and in theory, the most people are going to be joining them. Um, and I'm going to have, or that guild is going to have the most resources to continue on doing their diligence well and earning merit. Okay. And so, similarly... And this similarly, basically, my reputation with the other guilds would determine the amount of merit that I have with it <laughs> um, that I can then distribute to all of my members and me. Um, and then what keeps a guild of other guild leaders forming? I think that part of it would be if you're the leader of one guild, you can't be in another guild in any significant way. Does that make sense? Yeah, so two questions. One, so I say guild, but like I kind of meant that term a little bit more as a joke, but... Yeah, just people joining together against other guilds. Yeah. And then two, what, I guess... Realistically, what would be the difference between, and you can answer one at a time, like, uh, but like, what would be the difference between a guild and a modern day like business? Um, great questions. First question: What keeps a bunch of people from conspiring against other guilds? I think part of it would be that, um. Guilds would be very interdependent with one another. Say I create a cloud computing guild. My guild depends on 
the internet service providing guilds, as well as the inter- or the electricity guilds, right? Mm. And so my guild is not a standalone. It is very, very dependent on other people and other groups. And so I think that that would limit people conspiring together. Um, But even in that, I could see, like, let's say all of the ISP guilds decide to get together and say, hey, we're just going to not provide internet unless you guys give us all merit. Yeah. Right? Something like that could occur, and it's like, oh, we either go back to the Dark Ages, or it's tyranny. Um, oh, look, can you say that again? I think the your your mic cut out. Okay. Either with with a situation like that, it's either we go back to the Dark Ages, or we submit to this tyranny. And if merit is involved in political power, that would give. ISP guilds, all political power if people submitted to them. Um, is a good question. Uh, I don't necessarily have an answer for it. I think that one thing... I think some systems could be set in place. One system could be something like to say another situation, say a bunch of ISP guilds are going, say I start an ISP guild, um, and all the other guilds just don't like me because I'm really, really good at what I do, and they recognize that I'm just going to earn all the merit and they're not going to do anything well. That would mean, yeah, in theory, they could all just decide, hey, we're not going to give you our merit because we don't like you. <laughs> um. And real quick, the way in which I kind of envision this happening is, say, like, once a year, all of the guilds get together and each guild can choose, like, one or two other guilds to give merit to, right? Um, Something like that. And so all the ISP guilds are just like, well, we're not going to help them grow because we don't like them. Um, And I think to limit that, it would just be guilds cannot give to guilds of the same kind, something like that. Um, But as far as other preventing kind of the overthrow, like I mentioned with the ISP guilds, I think I mean, we could set some system in place in which, like, if 90% of guilds agree, then they can all vote to strip a guild of its uh, merit or something like that. That is as a guild. What? Strip strip that guild of its status as a guild. (laughs) Yeah, or that, yeah. And just be like... Hey, you you guys tried to overthrow the system. We all voted against you and now you get stripped of everything that you get. And whatever um whatever the consequence is, you can kind of define that within the system. But I think something like that could be set in place 
And the thing is, like, to get 90% of people to agree on something is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's kind of the protection there. Take American politics, for example. <laughs> but was that your first or second question? That was the first question. Okay, and your second question was, what's the difference between that and just businesses in the modern day? Yeah, um, business as usual. Yeah, I think that... I think that economy and the guild system would be separate. And so that's the thing. The guild can earn merit, but the guild also needs a way to earn money. And money is done through trade. Um, And trade would be same with like stores and shops and similar or online shops, similar how it's done now. Does that make sense? So you're saying that merit should be separate from currency. Yes. And so a guild can be very, very rich, but have very little merit, in which case I think that would be a good indicator of corruption within that guild. And because of that, the byproduct of that would be the the guild doesn't have a lot of um, political power. So the guild can keep making money, but they cannot change things politically. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to digest that one for (laughs) a bit. And this is just off the top of my head, spitballing, throwing ideas out there. I think that this idea of guilds is something that can be done many, many different ways. Um, And yeah, you can talk about how you would want to do them. But this is just answering your questions the best that I got off the top of my head. So, so far, our ideal society is a meritocracy built on guilds. For now, yes. And I think what that does is it... At least as far as power and education goes, which I think we can probably spend the rest of our time talking about culture... But what it does is it makes power merit-based, theoretically. um, And allows for the education based on what you're interested in. As far as at what time in your life you can join a guild, I think that's a topic that we can discuss. Um, And like is general education important or do you only need to know the things within your guilds? Um, how do you view all this stuff? Like, are, are you going to have boards where you can see all the different guilds and all their different stats and everything? I think a bunch of different questions can be asked about the system, but I think as far as the separation of power and the separation of power from economy, um, and as well as at the very least, further education and the learning of trade and skills that can provide money um, that is solved by just joining a guild. And the great thing about that is as long as you are well equipped for the job and for the task, there is a very low bar to entry, right? If I want to be good at computer science, let's say, instead of having to go through two years of gen eds before I actually get into computer science classes, I just joined the computer science guild. 
they teach me some basic skills and then I'm at the very, very low end of computer science within that guild. But if I keep learning skills and pass whatever tests and regulations they have within that guild, I'm going to rise higher and higher within it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so that's power and further education. I think that gen eds, age that you can join the guilds, and culture are what we can fill the rest of our time with, though. Yeah. Okay. So, you said education and, and culture is what we could fill the rest of our time in? General education, and then I think, like, what time you can join a guild. Like, I don't assume that we want four-year-olds being hired at guilds. Um, and then, yeah, culture. I'm thinking about uh, 1130s when you can join a guild. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, oh, man, this is a long episode. And we haven't run out of topics yet. <laughs> nope. So, okay. Culture. How would we define culture? Do you think beliefs, customs, institutions, and other products of human work and thought considered as a unit, especially with regard to a particular time or social group? Is that a uh, Google definition? Yes. So how does that relate to us and our ideal society? Well, what would be makes this difficult, makes this complicated, is I think culture will change over time. Okay. And so how do you, I think really the more important part of culture is what do you put within the system that necessitates, no matter how much culture changes, the important parts of The, the ideas and the things that are going to raise people to a higher form of being, let's say, the things that are going to cause people to better themselves and the people around them, how do you ensure that that remains within society? Um, and so I think first and foremost, access to that information would be good. <laughs> Okay. And I think some sort of I think this is where early education is important of like not necessarily forcing people to believe in these ideas but at least exposing them to these ideas. And having them talk about it. And so with that, it's not like... If ever these ideas do get outdated, it's not like, oh man, you have to believe this culturally, but it's still within the society 
and still in circulation such that these ideas are at the very least dealt with, right? If we believe, um, for example, all men are created equal. If we believe everyone is created equal, at the very least having that idea dealt with within every citizen, even if that idea becomes outdated, will be of value and of use. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's <clears throat> I think that's very I think it's very important because I think it's very easy to it's it's easy to judge things as outdated but not fully understand why they're outdated or they're perceived to be outdated. But nobody talks about, oh, for one, why they're outdated, and then two, why those ideas existed in the first place. Yeah. Again, cause and effect. There's more than likely a cause which created the effect of that belief or that idea. And so I think, and maybe this is kind of tying together kind of culture and education a little bit, is mm-hmm. not only talking about the the idea itself but also discussing why that idea came about and yeah the origin and its relation to maybe the the modern era and so you know the there's an old saying you know history has a chance or history repeats itself for those that don't under those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it and so i think that's that's kind of the the big i guess point i'm trying to make is just yeah not just looking at an idea and assuming it's trash, but <laughs> or at least especially a, a some sort of traditional idea. And I think the, the opposite is, is, is true as well, but not just looking at a traditional idea and saying that's outdated without understanding why that idea existed in the first place, but I think it's also very foolish to believe in a traditional idea without, again, understanding why that idea existed in the first place, because... You know, logical fallacy appeal to tradition. Yeah, um, I agree with that, and that at least freshman sophomore year of my high school was really great in that because we did a lot of that. We covered a lot of ancient ideas and a lot of old ideas, but we also talked about why those were important to that culture, and many of them I don't hold to. I don't believe, but I do think that there is wisdom in them. Um, and there are some of them that I was like, oh no, that's actually very, very relevant today. And that's very important. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think just like, I think it can include many, many things. Um, not just, not just, um, like our modern day ideas, but also, ideas across cultures, across time, just kind of covering a general history. I feel like there's just so much we don't know nowadays that I wish was taught (laughs) Um, of just history and ideas and why those ideas were relevant and important, both ideas that I think are great and ideas that I don't think are great. I think that all of them should be included and just like, hey, if you're not going to believe this idea, Let's at least have you deal with it such that you have a good reason to not deal with it or to not believe in it. 
Yeah. You know? Exactly. So he has some some reference for why and it's I think it's I, along with that, I think it's very critical that that those ideas are dealt with by the individual and not by the institution dealing or teaching that those ideas. Because I think there's a there's a strong difference between between giving a response for why you support or why you're against an idea because you've actually gone through the process yourself of understanding why you agree or why you disagree with that. I think there's a difference between that and merely regurgitating a some kind of collective narrative. And which is not I say regurgitating because those ideas and those those reasons are not are not don't stem from the individual that they, they stem from somebody else. And so I think that's again that's that's to me it's important that that there is an emphasis on having the individual deal with those ideas themselves rather than merely regurgitate the narrative. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what what the different subjects in school are kind of for. In theory, is I think like history is supposed to be ideas from the past. And I think we focus too much on dates and events and not nearly enough on ideas and the importance of those ideas. But ideas from the past and kind of how those played out for those people. I think science is supposed to be ideas of the present and what we know now. Um, English is supposed to teach you how to leverage the English language to be articulate, get your ideas across. Math is supposed to teach you logic and how to adapt to new systems, how to adapt to abstract systems. Uh, are there any subjects I'm missing? Social studies, literature. Yeah, at least for my high school, those were just mixed in with English and history. Social Recess. studies, literature, English and history were just one class for me, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Recess. Um, recess, yes. Recess is important. It is absolutely critical to teach people to rest because we know that at recess, that's what kids do is they just lay on the floor and sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or they beat each other up in the playground. <laughs> and then they sleep, you know, whatever works. Uh, but yeah, that's in theory what those are supposed to do. And I think maintaining those as the important things and the reasons behind it, at least for education, be like, hey, this is why this is what we're teaching. And yeah, we can talk about how we're going to teach it. That's fine. But let's keep the reason why we're teaching up front and forward. That way we can ensure that we're teaching well. Um, and so I think that as far as culture goes, I think culture should be left free to adapt and to change. Just the one important thing is let's not have our citizens forget what has happened and let's also not leave our citizens unequipped to deal with these ideas. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so we're not necessarily pushing any ideas onto our citizens, we're just giving them tools and teaching them what has happened and why those things happened as best as we understand. Here, here's what exists so that you're not 
you have a chance to deal with them yourself before like you come across them and yeah all that kind of good stuff yeah which so, to be fair this is a very complicated world and that is a lot to teach people continue yeah. no i agree um and i know like kind of some of the stuff is kind of like really a bridge between i guess education and culture but kind of developing that culture of again having the individual kind of deal with those ideas rather than merely pushing a narrative or or regurgitating a narrative i yeah. think there's a there's a significant stark difference between between the two yeah it gives the society the freedom to develop to its own culture as it's necessary but it also necessitates that they don't develop that blind or at the very least they don't develop it blind without willful ignorance yeah so then i think the last topic we should cover is kind of more specific to to culture what are some characteristics in an ideal society that should be included in in the the culture just like the i guess the standards that that the people within the ideal society hold each other to to maintain that we've already talked about like kind of i would argue that that kind of what we've been talking about as far as like kind of the the bridge between education and culture has really just been free thought just being able to think for oneself and i think that would be a very good characteristic of an ideal culture is developing a culture of free thought and so i guess my question to you is what are some other characteristics that would be good to to have in an ideal culture yeah i think one would be not driving right next to a semi on the highway on a two-lane highway another one would be not missing the toilet when guys use the restroom um i think another one is not leaving your dishes on the table at a coffee shop um (laughs) i think all of these would just be like perfect embodiment of ideal society our aim is to keep this bathroom clean your aim will help (laughs) i so i saw a meme one time where I guess some, like, company or something like that stuck, like, a sticker of a fly on the inside of a urinal, (laughs) and they noticed that that urinal was much cleaner compared to the other (laughs) urinals. That is actually hilarious. (laughs) So, I don't know, that might, uh, that might actually work. (laughs) We want you to hit here. (laughs) In the silent spot. (laughs) When you're using the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Is it me trying to pee on the side of the bowl to be more quiet? My brother trying to eat a cereal? <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. Ideal society. So, uh, restate your question. So, like, uh, what are some some characteristics for 
the culture at cultural aspects of of our ideal society. So I think we've already mentioned one really having free thought, kind of being able to think for oneself yeah. and and being able to wrestle with ideas themselves and develop their own conclusions and everything. So I think I think free thought would be one aspect. I would think another one would be kind of some level of of work ethic and kind of a a cultural uh standard of self improvement I think would be good. Like kind of just holding each other accountable to to find ways of in, improving their lives and improving their, their daily habits and stuff. Yeah, um, maybe with that in order to do that I'm trying to think of implementation of that would be either ways of earning merit outside of the guild system or unless you're really high within a guild being required to be a part of more than one guild in order to grow in one. Does that make sense? I think so. So, really, a couple of questions with that is, one, how does that affect the trout population? And then, two, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? So, <laughs> it would affect the trout population because people that enjoy fishing could actually earn merit for it by joining the trout fishing guild. That's not good um, for the trout population. Well, that's true, but also means that that would earn extra merit for the trout growing guild. Um, because the Trout Fishing Guild would want to support the Trout Growing Guild. And so I think more people would be aware of growing trout and would, you know, potentially be interested in the other side of it and growing trout to be fished. Um, mm. So I think it could go either way, if I'm being perfectly honest. And then as far as the price of tea in China, I think that really, I think that by having these different guilds, people would be more industrious, and that would cause people to begin to grow more tea in whatever country this is. And so assuming that that country is outside of China, I think the price of tea in China would probably go down because fewer people would be drinking it. Do you think there would be a uh, Chinese tea pricing guild? <laughs> probably, yes. And I would head that guild if there is not one. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff, good stuff. So, so you never, you never, like, directly answered answered my question. What are, what do you think are some characteristics that should be that that should be in incorporated into the 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 ideal culture in our ideal society? Like, what do you think? I've offered two of them. I I don't know because I think that those characteristics are going to change based on the time and the place, right? Like, like, so you don't think a culture of self-improvement, of individual improvement? I think you can lean too far into that. I think you can lean too far into self-improvement. So I want to be very cautious with that. I like, don't get me wrong. I do think self-improvement is good, but I don't think that 
you should. What about what about a characteristic of moderation to pair with that? I mean, so if 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 you have a culture that's that has a characteristic of self improvement and free thought and moderation, then ideally, the well, I guess if you were to make moderation kind of the more superior if if you were to if you were to rank these characteristics if you were to make moderation at top maybe self-improvement and free thinking or whatever then at least that would moderation would help bring about some level of balance into the other trait the the other character traits of the of the culture yeah i think with stuff like that though a lot of that isn't built into the system of the society and those can come and go. And that's what I'm saying is like, as the culture changes and as the culture shifts, it needs to be able to fit whatever is necessary for that society. Um, and so I don't want to put extreme limits on the culture of like, Oh, this must be included because I don't know what they're going to face in the future. And so that's why I'm saying, like, I think it's good that people understand what has happened and be given the tools to think. That way, as that happens, they at least have the tools to kind of come to their own conclusions and to be able to deal with those problems well. Interesting. Interesting. So... I I think we should probably wrap this episode up. Yeah. We, it has been a three-hour episode. <laughs> we clearly <laughs> haven't covered everything, and clearly there is a lot to, to just the topic of, of ideal society. I think this honestly kind of goes to show that, that you can really just pick any topic. Like, you can ask the simplest question, and you can get the most complicated answer depending on how, how you really look at any topic. And so, yeah, there are obviously problems with kind of maybe some of the conclusions that we've come to. If we were really trying to develop an ideal society, there'd be much, much more discussion involved. But at least hopefully with this episode, we've kind of maybe gotten some some gears turning, just kind of... You know, either whether just on the topic of ideal society specifically or just kind of, you know, d discussions in general, like how how simple topics can be taken in any sort of any myriad of of direction. But we hope that all of you have enjoyed this episode. Uh, I guess thought provoker for this episode, at least until we get uh, do our next one is. I guess kind of like maybe do a little bit of reflection on on ourselves and you know kind of kind of see where you know we're at in our own kind of societies and I don't mean societies in a sort of like political sense but I mean like kind of societies as in like our friend groups you know maybe the places we work and kind of like I guess examine what are some what are some good things that 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 you think are good in your 
your societies and then what are some things that you feel like could be improved and then how can how can you i guess go about spearheading those those improvements and so you know i think be some some good things to think about you know and all that kind of good stuff uh is there anything else that uh that i'm missing um i think just one more thing like if you liked this discussion um and liked this three-hour episode feel free to stop in the discord we have a recommendations channel and if you would like more extended episodes like this even though it's unedited and everything feel free to drop them in the recommendations channel we would if this is something you guys like if you guys like this longer form of discussion this is something that i wouldn't mind doing more of um and yeah that's the only other thing i think i've got absolutely absolutely and if you have any other you know you don't like anything that we said uh you know stop by the discord and just let us know and yeah. all that kind of good stuff let us know your thoughts let us know your what you think we're very we'd be very interested to to hear all of that and yeah uh if there's nothing else always remember think critically and live fully we love you guys we will see you in our next episode thank you have a happy thanksgiving guys